shipping off to find his wooden leg. That's a fine goal, and it fits in with this week. Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast. I'm Hope Madden. And I'm George Wolf, and we are from MadWolf.com. Check it out for all your new movie reviews. Got some good ones up there now. In fact, a good new one I think we just might be talking about this week. What? Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Uh, this week it's all about physical disabilities in horror movies. I don't think we have a wooden leg, like mentioned in the song, but we have a gun leg, and that's a major hint. I bet you can guess, but <laughs> we're getting ahead of ourselves. First of all, we want to say sorry. We we got a little uh, snowed under, and we took last week off. We did. Forgive guess us. Who's, guess whose idea that was? It was mine. <laughs> a lot going on, so we took last week off, but we're back, and we're ready, and we're loaded for bear because uh, we've got some good stuff going on, and we... Look back to, what was it, two weeks ago? It was ago. two weeks ago, where we had Martyrs on the big screen. Oh, man. And we just want to thank everybody who came out, because it was a great crowd. They were very into it. They all got merit badges if they stayed through the film. And I think, while it was a harsh film, it's definitely a harsh film, um, uh, I think everybody agreed that it's a it's a great movie, certainly very thought-provoking. And for the first time, and I think we'll do this later, we, we hung out afterwards so people could just sort of digest and talk about the movie, which I thought was a fine plan, especially since I'm not allowed to drink beer at the happy hour anymore because it requires too much editing on George's part afterwards. So I could have drink beers after. Why are you airing our dirty laundry right here <laughs> in front of all these fine people? <laughs> We're all friends. You know what, though? Uh, I want to really say a big, big thank you to uh, Siftus, Siftus, after the Fright Club Live left a, just a, a really great uh, message on the Columbus uh, Horror Society Facebook page. says it was absolutely amazing. He says, uh, we were all a captive audience. No hitting pause when shit got extremely difficult. And it's funny that you gave out merit badges uh, as beyond brief breaks for beer or bathroom. Every person filled the theater to the end. And he says, wonderful event, Fright Club. So thank you. Thank Siftus. you so much. That is awesome. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you at future Fright Club Lives because, uh, yeah, they're not all going to be as tough to sit through as as uh, Martyrs was. But every now and then, we like to give you a little gut punch. Well, actually, this month is tough. It's not Martyrs tough, but it's a tough one. Yeah, we like to give you a little, little gut check. What is it next month? September 14th, we're going to watch Eden Lake. Oh, yeah. Michael that's... Fassbender. It's a uh, um, Jack O'Connell. Yeah. It's a great movie, but it, it is not... That's... For the squeamish, but it's also, if you made it through Martyrs, you can totally make oh, it yeah. through Eden Lake. Yeah, Eden Lake, no day at the beach, ha, or day <laughs> at the lake, but uh, but it's a goodie. Okay, Siftus, thank you so much for that. And um, so we give out the uh, the thanks for all the feedback, because we got a lot. We, we did. got a lot. We did, that and was it was really great. Nice. Mm-hmm. See, a lot of pictures of people taking their merit badges home and putting them on their refrigerators. And, and... we want to <laughs> say hey to um, member of the Mad Wolf Pack, Matt Wiener, who came out and made it to his first Fright Club to see Martyrs, which uh, I warned him, but he made it all the way through, so good for you. Yeah, he just started writing some uh, reviews for us on MadWolf.com, because we can't get to all of them. We try, but we can't get to all of them. And Matt is good, so uh, check his uh, reviews out on MadWolf.com as well. Matt, thank you for coming. All right, so we're getting into physical disabilities and horror. Now, right away, you've got a rule. You've got a rule at the top. I do have a rule at the top. We are not covering mental illness in this podcast. It strikes me that we probably will in a future podcast, but it's just too cluttered, and I wanted to focus for a particular reason. I wanted to focus on physical disabilities today. Yeah, that's too big. That's its own podcast for sure. Okay, That's, that's totally understandable. No qualms with that. Good news. Yeah, and really, if you're a very regular listener and can remember back a full two weeks ago, 
Uh, you're better than we are. Uh, <laughs> you might be saying to yourself, wait a minute, I thought it was evil steps this time, and you are correct, but you'll find out. We were out- sitting through a movie not too long ago and says to ourselves, we says, I think disabilities and horror is going to be a better topic this week. Yeah, and you might be able to guess. You've been paying attention to the multiplex lately. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good reason that we decided to flip to physical disabilities and horror. So that's what we're doing. So we're going to start out with one. I really like this one. I know you do. In fact, this is one half of a feature, and I like this half better. Part of the Grindhouse double feature. This is Planet Terror. They're not dead. The hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. The hell is going on? Infection will spread all over the world. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. We got a face full of DC, too. Where the laws of science are broken. The side effect is terror. Now, the last hope for humanity rests in the hands of a few. I have no leg! I made you something. Stand. Woo-hoo! Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror, a grindhouse feature. Yeah, this was paired with, when it first came out as a double feature, paired with Death Proof. Yeah, the one with, Tarantino's. Uh, yeah, uh, the one with Kurt Russell mm-hmm. driving the mm-hmm. car, which which was okay. I just didn't like it as well as this. I thought this was a lot of fun. And, of course, you know the physical disability that we're talking about. And, of course, you know the physical disability that we're talking about is Rose McGowan in that super cool machine gun leg. I got to say, that was so awesome. I had the shirt. You got me the shirt. With uh, just Rose McGowan and that machine gun leg running in the front. Oh, my God. It was so awesome. And I didn't even realize until recently that you got a little thing for Rose McGowan. I had no idea. She was hot in this movie. <laughs> I'll tell you what. She, she, could, she, couldn't, she couldn't qualify for sexy villains because she's not really a villain. She's, no, no. She's a hero. Yeah. But she's, yeah. She's got it going on in this movie with that, with that leg. And by the way, they pulled that off uh, by putting, they put a cast on her leg to keep it stiff. Mm-hmm. And then wrapping green first aid tape around it, you know, like a green screen. Mm-hmm. That's how they did it. Then they filled it in, much like they did with um, Gary Sinise in uh, Forrest Gump. Uh, with A have, far inferior film. Yes. I agree with that. Uh, we've gotten into that with people before. Forrest Gump doesn't age well. But we digress. Planet Terror was cool. It's got this virus, I guess you'd call it, this virus spreading and turning people into horrific monsters. Well, it's right. It's uh, some kind of a, a chemical weapon from uh, a military unit, yeah. and then they show up, and Tarantino is one of the actors, which is never a good idea. We all know it. He must know it. Yeah. But your beloved Bruce Willis is in it, and uh, Josh Brolin, of course, is a crazy bad doctor, and, you know, there's it just takes a lot of weird turns. It's got a fun, campy quality. It's gross. <laughs> it is, um, it is you know, gross. It's super gross, but, but you know, I, I love... A lot of things about it, but one of the things I do love is that she's not victimized. She's not a victim, and she loses her leg, and it's hardly the end of the world. In fact, it turns out to be to everybody's advantage, and I just think that's kind of awesome about this film. Yeah, and uh, you talk about Bruce Willis being in it. The fact that he was in it itself is another one of the odes to the old grindhouse uh, filmmakers because they used to do that a lot. They would contract a big-name movie star, to appear in their Grindhouse movie for like a day or half a day, and just for a few frontal shots only. Then the rest of the scenes were done with a double film from the back. So, <laughs> And then they would take a picture of that big star, and they would place it prominently on the movie's poster of course. In, in order to boost sales. So it's kind of a nod to that. I mean, they used Bruce Willis more than that in mm-hmm. this movie, mm-hmm. but you can see why they do that. And, and Tarantino and Rodriguez, 
Rodriguez and Tarantino and Rodriguez are great about that. I mean, very authentic homages. Oh, yeah. Clearly, they love Groundhog. I mean, Tarantino is is very well known for loving and showing in his in, in, in his theater, he sh- Grindhouse films. He loves them. Um, and I do, too. And so it, the whole experience, especially when it came out with those trailers, was so fun. It was so fun. And then, of course, it it it's spun off a couple of like hobo with a shotgun which i love yeah machete machete was you know, so yeah. good it, machete it was just sucked, a ton of fun but uh yeah machete was so good and i remember when we first saw it we were just giddy just giddy not only with the two movies but with the trailers yeah yeah don't know? yeah oh yeah werewolves women of the ss oh my god it's oh. the best thing rob zombie's ever done <laughs> it is and one of the best things nicholas cage has ever done yeah but uh yeah it was just so much fun and i I admit I was really disappointed that and it was surprised a... that it bombed. Yeah. Yeah, really disappointed. I, I know it's a double feature and it was long and everything. But, uh, you know, he was hot at the time, Tarantino. Of course. Uh, and, man, I thought it was a heck of a lot of fun. Even though Death Proof, I don't think, was quite as much fun as this. But uh, really liked Planet Terror and really liked the physical disability, although I don't know how much of a disability it was. Yeah, it turned know? into quite, you know, yeah, quite advantageous, actually. And it was a lot of, it was very reminiscent of the great shot in Machete where he comes flying over top <laughs> with the with the motorcycle and shooting the gun at the oh, same yeah, yeah. time. Because when she gets pulled, you know, she sits oh, yeah. on the on motorcycle. Oh, yeah, on the back of the motorcycle, yeah. Yeah, well, and then he, her boyfriend keeps saying, no, the other way. <laughs> no, the yeah. other way. Man, here we go. <laughs> Now we're ready. Yeah, so it's a lot of fun, and it is number five on our list of physical disabilities in horror. Rose oh, McGowan. There are a couple of others I want to mention in this in this area, which is basically, you know, women who, who use their disabilities sort of to their advantage, and, and one of those is teeth. Ooh. Yeah, teeth. Ooh. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> we probably don't need to say more than that. If you're not familiar with the movie... Look it up. You can explain a little bit. Okay. Where the teeth are. What is it called? Uh, uh, vagina dentura? Dentata. Dentata. So there Something you go. Like I think yeah. I think it tells you enough. Yeah, that's about it. So, uh, so And I'm not know. familiar with the other one. Ms. 45. Um, it is not one of my favorite films, to be honest with you. Um, and it's a young woman. She's uh, uh, deaf mute. She's She's raped a couple of times. Kind of loses her mind, dresses like a nun, kills a bunch of people. But it, you know, it follows the theme that we have here, which is basically that you know, horror films aren't always good to people with disabilities. But honestly, in many cases, they're they're better to them than other genres of films are. And so uh, these are just a couple of of instances where doesn't keep them down. That's all I'm saying. All right. <laughs> so there's a couple in the same vein uh, of our number five movie, Planet Terror. Moving up to number four, one we've talked about. A bunch, and we've mentioned that this was our actual first movie date from 1990 Misery. This was kind of a miracle you finding me. In a way, I was following you. See, that's how I'm your number one fan and all. I've read everything of yours. You're very kind. I noticed in your case there's a new Paul Sheldon book. You want to read it? You'll never realize what a rare treat you've given me. You dirty bird. Misery Chastain cannot be dead. Misery Spirit is still alive. Yeah, murderer! I know you've been out of your room. I don't know what you're talking about. Is this what you're looking for? Whatever you think I'm not doing, please don't do it. James Caan, 
and Kathy Bates in her Academy Award winning role. God's sake. It's for the best. Hey, please! God, I love you. Misery. This one is so good. And if you remember when we had Knack uh, Mac, Dr. Neil McRoberts, uh, on for the Stephen King episode. Sorry, our senior Stephen King correspondent. Right. This was one he liked. Yeah. And uh, with good reason. It's really well done. And, um, you know the disability, <laughs> the hobbling. Right. Well, you know, he's not doing well before the hobbling. That's why he's in there in the first place. That's but true. yeah, the hobbling kind of takes care of it. Yeah, that's true. He, uh, so James Kahn, uh, s- suffers the uh, car, car, accident. car crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a famous writer. And then Annie Wilkes, played by Kathy Bates, finds him. And uh, she's a number one fan of his misery books and uh, nurses him back to health until she finds out that he's going to kill off misery. And that doesn't sit well with her at all. So uh, forces him to uh, write something else. And finally, I think years later, a lot of people hinted at it, guessed at it early on. But uh, I think Stephen King finally admitted that, yes, this is about his struggle with substance abuse. That's Mm -hmm. the heart of this. Interesting. But, you know, uh, usually when we talk about this film, we talk about Kathy Bates' Oscar-winning performance. She's perfect. She's perfect. So good. And uh, um, but, But, you know, James Caan... I mean, James Conn's a badass. He just is. And the whole time he's in that bed, no matter how calm he is when he's talking, you have to think to yourself, it's James Conn. He's going to kick some ass at some point. Or he's going to hobble toward kicking some ass at some point. He's going <laughs> to flail at some ass at some point. And, you know, I think that his performance, um, is, it's so intentionally leveled. And it just makes a nice counterpart to hers, which is not what it seems, and just goes berserk periodically. And and I just, I mean, the two of them play off each, other, off each other so well. And I think he's really good, especially in the hobbling scene, because as he's quietly, more intensely, as it goes along, begging her not to do it, once he realizes what she's yeah. going to do, yeah. it's a very good contrast, because she's also calm. It's just like, no, very matter-of-fact, this is what we have to do. Oh, yeah. And it's a really nice counterpoint. And actually, uh, William Goldman, a pretty famous author, he wrote a book, Four, Four Screenplays, and uh, he talked about James Kahn's role. Paul Sheldon was offered to, get this, William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas, Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, De Niro, Pacino, Richard Dreyfus, Gene Hackman, Robert Redford, and Warren Beatty all turned him down. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it's probably because you spend the whole movie in bed. Well, not only that, but I think it was Warren Beatty specifically who who mentioned the hobbling scene. And early on, remember, in the book, she doesn't just hobble. No, she cuts. She cuts off the foot. Right. Uh, and I think it was Warren Beatty specifically who said, well, then he, he's, after that, he's, he's a loser. He's lost, mm. you know, and didn't like that, uh, that part of the screenplay. But, of course, that is a point of contention for a few people of this movie. Uh, and we talked about it with Dr. Neal uh, that uh, they changed it. Uh, from the scene, from the the way the book had it, to uh, just the hobbling. And uh, I think it works. I do. I mean, I'm offended that he said, you know, if you lose your foot, you, you're, a, you know, that's... Well, that's, I guess, the, the legend has right. it, yes. I mean, we, we, that's supposedly what he said and how he reacted. But but I, I think, um, you know, they're not being a big burst of blood. They're not being... I mean, the the fact that the film is really bloodless... 
and yet so terrifying and so and, and also I think I don't know for some when you see something like that sever and and blood it it it, it feels horror movie to you you know what I mean there's almost a relief that goes with it that hobbling was like nothing we'd seen and um and it was so brilliantly executed and it, you know it's it's the most memorable scene in the movie so obviously I would say they did it right yeah and William Goldman uh, who I talked about he adapted the screenplay and he was very much opposed to that change in fact uh, that was he has said that was that scene was one of the reasons he wanted to adapt the script and he was opposed to the change but um rob reiner the director uh, i guess had a final say so it's you know it's not only a, a bone of contention with uh, audience members but with uh, filmmakers as well but uh, yeah uh, you'll find people that would like it the other way but yeah i think we're both in agreement that it works as i recall Dr. Neal also agreed with us. With us. Well, and then we win. He's the Trump card that's because right. he's getting his Ph.D. in Stephen King. That's not really accurate. <laughs> that's not really accurate. But he's a big Stephen King fan, and he's super smart. So that's we right. think that his vote counts for more than the rest of you. And it does. So misery and number four uh, in our list of physical disabilities in horror. Number three. Now, this is the reason, as you might have guessed, that we went with uh, this category this week because it's just out in theaters, I think, today as we record this. And it's great. It's called Don't Breathe. Yo, I got our ticket out of here. Rumor is this guy is sitting on at least 300K. Boom! That's her guy. Wait, is he blind? We messed up to rob a blind guy, isn't it? Just because he's blind don't mean he's insane, bro. Who's there? Stay right there. Man, all right, just let me go, please. Okay, I swear to God. We're trapped in here. There has to be a way out of here. Now you're gonna see what I see. So much fun. You know, we saw this trailer, I don't know how many months ago, and so rarely does a film live up to its trailer. Because we saw, and also Fede Alvarez, right, who remade, uh, did the reboot of Evil Dead uh, two years ago. And and so we just thought, you know, yes, please. Like, that's totally, (laughs) yes, please. And um, I snuck into a screening I wasn't supposed to be at. And saw it uh, about a month ago, three weeks ago or so, and and was so pleased with it. I was so pleased with it that I went back last week to watch it with you. Yeah, you couldn't really talk about it because I hadn't seen it yet. And there are some twists. Yeah, so we're not going to tell you about any of those. Definitely some twists, but it's so much fun. It's a, it's one of those where you see it and think, why hasn't this done been done before? Because it's an update, a rewrite, uh, a reimagining of the old premise of Wait Until Dark, the old Audrey Hepburn, uh, Alan Arkin movie where the robbers break in and she's blind and that caused a lot of tension but this one is out an outright horror movie i mean uh there's some violence there's not a lot of blood but there's some violence and some bad things happen because these three kids basically call them kids i think so yeah uh, they young break, 20 something i would think they break into this man's house it's in a really pretty much abandoned section of detroit uh and legend has it they've been told that he's sitting on about three hundred thousand dollars or so from a big uh, legal settlement, and they think it's easy pickings once they get in there. Because? uh, He's blind. And it's not easy pickings at all. He not only has a backstory, he's got some secrets in that house, and they are in for a bad time. Yeah, and, and he's a and he's a, a veteran, so he's got some skills. He does have, you know, some. yeah, he's got some skills. And he's played by Stephen Lang, who, who always cuts an impressive figure. He does. If you don't know him, he's the uh, real muscled up 
little bit older commander guy in Avatar, and he most of these roles, yeah, he's he's still like you said, he's he, pretty jacked. He cuts an impressive figure. That was my one nitpick about this movie that, that, that he is jacked. He's wearing a a wife beater, and well, uh, he's in bed when they get there. Yeah, that's true. But there's no, we, we pretty much go all over this house, and there's no weights, there's no workout <laughs> equipment. So he's doing a lot of push-ups, and that's okay. You know, it worked for Herschel Walker. Uh, nothing but push-ups. It could work for him. But no, he's uh, he's very good, and uh, they give him these um, these contact lenses so that it really looks like his eyes. You know. Oh yeah, he has a, a very affecting blank stare. I mean, it is so creepy. Yeah, he does. So uh, that's obviously the physical disability this time, but. You know, he uh, he doesn't have a lot of disabilities. I mean, once uh, things get rolling in the house, he handles himself pretty darn well. You know, and, and I think that I can't probably overstate how important the set design and cinematography and particularly sound design are for this film. The uh, Fetty Alvarez is so efficient with every single scene, every shot, yeah. every line. And, uh, you know, the cinematographer, y- you've got uh, these long, winding tracking shots, uh, but they're panicky. Like, you would be kind of trapped in this house wandering around. And and the sound, because that's the thing, right? They they He wakes up. He's in the house. They're trying to hide. They're trying not to make any noise at all. So the sound design picks up every tiny sound and it's so impressive and so unnerving well and that's the ironic thing about it what's and, and really a genius thing about it will be is because once things get really intense it almost becomes a disability for the kids yeah. they have disabilities and the fact that any noise they make that's the title don't breathe you know uh, you always hear that when someone loses one sense the other ones become a little bit more acute and so they're at a disability because they can be smelled. They can, any little, like you said, any little uh, movement that they make, maybe a, a floorboard creaks, and it's going to be picked up on by this guy. He's going to notice things that other people don't. And then you have... Especially inside his own house. Yes, exactly. Um, and that's another thing I think they do really well is, you know, they just show him he's wandering around, he's lifting a hand. He's just making sure he is where he thinks he is in this house. Um, you know, and he sort of sinks into a corner for a while because he knows that they can't see him because he's turned out the lights. And of course, it doesn't matter because he can't see anything. It's um, it's a fairly uh, even handed, low key uh, approach to a lot of things, even though what they do is just ratchet the tension to almost unbearable. Yeah. And I really looked at it. It occurred to me that it was lights out. For grown-ups. That's what you said, you know, yeah. Lights Out just came out, and I think it made a fair amount of money. They're, they're already planning a sequel. But to me, it was very high school date kind of scares. Uh, pretty you know, low on the uh, scare meter, but this is high. Mm. And this one is, uh, I thought, Lights Out for grown-ups. So we've talked a little bit about it, maybe more than we should. I don't think we've given anything away. I don't think but, we have, uh, no. Go see it. Yes, you go will enjoy it. it. You know what? It's fun to see with the crowd. It's it really fun to see it with really the crowd. It really is. Um, and uh, I do want to mention a couple of other because because I, I, I have to think that blindness is something that it, it, there must be some kind of very primal fear about losing your sight. There are a lot of horror films that use it um, and can use it pretty effectively. And, and as you mentioned, wait until dark. That's one of the greats. You know, that's one of the greats. I don't know. It's a horror film. It's a tense film, but but it's it's one of the greats. Um, Hush, which you can watch on Netflix right now, is a bit more like this. It, it's kind of a cross, really, between this and and. Um, Wait until dark, and I'm not going to say it's a masterpiece, but it's a, it's a good film. It's worth seeing. The Man Who Laughs, which we've mentioned many times. Now, it's a minor character who's blind, but they still use it um, pretty effectively, mostly to generate 
empathy, I think, you know. Um, and then another one, Julia's Eyes. It's a Spanish movie. I like it. I don't love it. It's uh, it's maybe a little too um, Brian De Palma for me. But um, but it's 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 got some really good creepy stuff going on. So. You know, and another one I will give a vote for is a movie called Blindness. Not really a, but horrific. a horror movie, but, but horrific. it turns horrific. And that came out a few years ago. It's Julianne Moore. And it's Mark Ruffalo, and um, it's... Gael Garcia Bernal. Yes, and it's what happens where, where everyone, or most everyone, gets afflicted with blindness. So it's basically kind of a, a zombie film, right? Except that instead of becoming zombies, they go blind. Yeah, and then what it becomes is a bit of a, a Stanford prison experiment, because the, all the, the blind people are put in one section, and then social order starts breaking down, and... And things start happening as one group is a little bit Lord of the Fliesy. Uh, their dominance over another, and uh, yeah, so that's worth checking out too. So uh, blindness was the name of that, and uh, so that covers uh, that physical disability. Number three, don't breathe. It's out now. Go see it. Uh, number two, oh boy, this is one of our favorites. In fact, uh, your very favorite <laughs> from 1974, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is the movie that is just as real. Just as close. Just as terrifying as being there. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Oh, Franklin. Oh, Franklin, things aren't going to go well for you. And I think you knew that when you left home because it's the 70s, and so there are not a lot of... There's not a lot of ramps where you're going. There's not, you know, uh, and then those, you know, your hot hippie friends, they're just going to go make out and leave you, and that's going <laughs> to not go well for you. Well, you know, actually, it's not on a, on a more of a subtext level. It's not just Franklin, because Toby Hooper allowed Gunnar Hansen to really develop Leatherface as he saw fit under his supervision, and Hansen kind of decided that Leatherface was mentally handicapped. Yeah. I know we're not talking about mental, mentally handicapped mm-hmm. in this, but it, 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 it kind of fits. And that he never, Leatherface never learned how to talk properly. So he went to a school for the mentally challenged, watched how they moved, Gunnar Hansen did, and listened to them talk to get a feel for the characters. So that's, we've not just Franklin, sure. you've got the backstory of Leatherface as well. Yeah. You know, there are actually, I mean, you know, physical disabilities, uh, uh, not being able to use your legs, wheelchairs in particular, they pop up in a lot of horror films. Actually, I bet we could probably name 10 where you just see an empty wheelchair. Yeah. You know, um, it's it, because I think people do find it. There's something scary, oh, something yeah. so vulnerable. Yes, the vulnerability yeah. there, you oh, know. Yeah. But the the reason that that I I go with this one, besides the fact, of course, that I absolutely love, adore this movie. But what Toby Hooper does, right, which is invert your expectations when it comes to Franklin, because prior to this, and it's you know fairly early, it's 1974. We've got movies like. Um, Whatever happened to Baby Jane, mm-hmm. you know, or or you know, wait until dark, or where the the the, the character with a with a physical disability, y- you're rooting for them, you know, and you know in your heart it's going to go their way. I mean, all of the tension is built around their vulnerability, but you know, but that's one of the things that that Hooper did so beautifully with his entire film is just to subvert your expectations. There's no score; it's broad daylight, mm-hmm. you know, and the the guy in the wheelchair. 
gets it, yeah. you know? And and also, he's so unlikable. You know, he's the least likable person in the movie, <laughs> and that includes Leatherface, right? He's just a whiny, awful person. He really is. <laughs> and so you kind of, you know, it's, it's so anyway, one of the reasons that one of the things I find fascinating is is what Toby Hooper did with with an audience's expectations when they came into this. Yeah, um, and that's something that we've talked about. Other filmmakers, uh, particularly Wes Craven, yeah. he did that in some of his early work. But yeah, that's a very good point. And the fact that Franklin is so unlikable um, goes back to something that Gunnar Hansen said about filming of the movie. He, he said that early on or during most of the filming, he did not like the actor who played Franklin, a guy named Paul Partain. But then, a few years later, he caught up to Partain again and realized that he was just doing the method actor thing. Oh. And he was making everybody hate him by being that wow. way that Franklin was. And he had simply chosen to stay in character, even when not filming. And apparently the two then, Gunnar Hansen and Paul Partain, remained good friends uh, <clears throat> until uh, Partain passed away. Now, of course, since then, we've lost Gunnar Hansen as well. But, yeah, so that's a, a really, he really... <laughs> I bet he didn't get along with most anyone on the set if he stayed as Franklin the oh, entire time. Oh, I bet time. you're right. I bet you're right. Just so whiny. Oh, oh my God. Plus, I mean, I've only ever heard. And when you when you listen to the DVD commentary, uh, it was a nightmare to film. It was hot. Hot. Hooper was was kind of a fascist about everything. They kept doing these retakes. I mean, it was just miserable for everything. So if on top of all that, the one guy who is super whiny and annoying in the movie is super whiny and annoying in life, I'm sure that didn't go very well for anybody. Um, and, you know, uh, of the other ones, I mean, there are so many others we could have gone with with wheelchairs, but I still think that, the, I mean, Silver Bullet, no. Oh, no, my God. Oh, no, no. You know? Well, to go back to your last point, uh, actor uh, who played the um, hitchhiker, oh. Edwin Neal. Yes, he, I love Edwin Neal. He said, filming some of those scenes, quote, was the worst time of my life, and I had been in Vietnam. Wow. So, uh, that's... Uh, that's bad. Yes. That is a number two on our physical disability list of horror movies. 1974 is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And number one really can only be number one. Uh, and if you are uh, if you know the history, you probably have already guessed. That we're going all the way back to 1932 for Todd Browning's Freaks. We didn't lie to you, folks. We told you we had living, breathing monstrosities. Look at him laugh. This swine. They can't hurt me. I'm going to make you one of the fine things. Their code is a law unto themselves. Offend one, and you offend them all. This one famous infamous right from the get-go because it uses real people yeah and and you know it's interesting because it 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 more or less did in browning's career he was hot off dracula one of the biggest movies of of all time at that point and you know was allowed to do basically anything he wanted and this is what he wanted to do and he had himself been in circus sideshows worked with the circus and so he felt very sort of comfortable there and he actually made other films launch any films that kind of skirted this issue but it was the fact that he used a cast of not only of of dwarves but but also uh, of other people of physical disabilities and and referred to them as freaks because yeah. the film refers to them as freaks because at that point that's how they these these people were living as freaks so he had actual conjoined twins you know he had just and well basically all but two or three of the of the main cast members 
have in one way or another major physical impairments. Yeah, and he had to, Irving Thalberg was the uh, head of the studio at the time, and he had to recut the picture immediately after the test screening, which was disastrous, but he could not cancel the world premiere that was already set for uh, late January of 1932. And it's apparently that is the only venue, the Fox Theater in San Diego, where the original uncut version uh, was known to have played. And it became a box office success, and crowds lined up around the block, and it broke the theater's house record and the whole bit. And uh, by the end of the run, word had spread that Freaks was about to be recut. So then the theater started advertising, get in here before it's your last chance to see the original Freaks in its uncensored form because it, it, it had such a reaction from that test screening that the a lot of the studio heads uh, started scrambling. You know, it's it's interesting. It was hard to get for a long time, and it was banned in a lot of countries for a long time. Um, and it's, a, it's an incredibly effective film. I love this movie, you know, but I do think that there's a valid point that people have always made about it. So, you know, early on, people said he was exploiting these people, and and then people said, you know, no, he's not. He's presenting the reality as it is. He's giving, he's giving these actors an opportunity to have lead roles, and, you know, he empathizes with them because he grew up in that setting. But then I think the pendulum swung back and said, yeah, he grew up in that setting. He's very used to exploiting these people for money. He did exploit these people for money. So it goes back and forth. And I got to say, I think I have a foot in each camp. But, uh, you know, separately from all of those things, it's a really well-crafted, very creepy, certainly iconic film. Yeah. And boy, all you have to do to anybody that has seen it, all you have to do is start saying one of us. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, you're, you're right about it being a foot in each camp because according to the screenplay, the scene where uh, Madame Tetralini uh, introduces that landowner to the performers as they're out in the woods mm-hmm. playing ran quite longer and really cemented that point home as to see them as more than just circus freaks. Mm-hmm. And then in the extended scene, uh, the man says, when I go to the circus, I'll remember, mm. you know, that he sees them. So so I understand the um, the points about it being offensive, I guess, of taking advantage of these people. But I can also see the other way, too. Yeah. But, you know, so we were talking about that Renee Zellweger movie. Oh, uh, the new one. Uh, same kind of different as me. Mm-hmm. If you've seen this trailer, it's just so bad. It's talk about offensive. Right. I, I I saw this in the theater the other night before I saw something, and uh, I ju- I groaned out loud. Right. I just groaned. I oh, it's going to be so bad. But anyway, well, I've seen the version of the film that has the extended uh, sort of pre freak show freak, you know, and and um and it's. It's got that, well, again, it's the early 30s, and so most scenes have some sort of a precious air about it. But it does have that sort of, this is so precious that it's melted the heart of a wealthy white man. It's got that about it. I don't know that it mm-hmm. completely excuses anything. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you can see that a, a real stab was being made mm-hmm. toward humanizing. what. And, and actually, I think all of the performers come off as being quite human throughout the film, you know, and the lead you you feel terribly for because he's fallen in love with this yes. horrible woman. But you feel even worse for his, well, it's the actual actor's sister, which that's another, I know, I one know. of my other favorite things is how creepy is that? You His love interest is indeed the actor's own sister. And you know it's, that because they look exactly alike. Yeah, and then she says that, but they hurt me. Mm-hmm. You know, he says they can't hurt me, but she says, but they hurt me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and you just, you do, you feel for her. Yes, you do. Yeah, she is, she's sweet, she's sympathetic. And, you know, I love the performances. And then, of course, the, you know, the the big scene, the big comeuppance scene. 
holds up today. It's Ooh. it's very brutal. It's creepy and 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 so I, I think what makes me go back to the I like the film camp is that you don't sympathize with the normals quote who are who are about to get their comeuppance yeah. which means that even though you've got you know this this armless legless man writhing with a knife in his mouth you know he has power they do not i mean mm-hmm. i do feel like i mean i i do i feel as though you can't disregard it as being something that does um validate the humanity and and power of all of the performers on the cast. That's a good point. That's Freaks from 1932. But what do you think? If you're on the other camp, let us know. Uh, always reach us on Twitter. That's the easiest. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, uh, Mad Wolf Columbus on Facebook, as well as the website, MadWolf.com. And, of course, you can always get us on Golden Spiral Media, the fine folks that host this podcast, uh, GoldenSpiralMedia.com. You can find us there as well. So, uh, yeah, that is physical disabilities and horror. I imagine, as you said, one of these days we'll get to mental disabilities and horror. Lots of fertile ground there. But, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to next week when we will get back on schedule. And we're going to do Evil Steps. And then we look forward to September 14th, the next edition of Fright Club Live at the Gateway Film Center in Columbus, Ohio. It's going to be Eden Lake. So uh, and a countdown of vacation horror. Yes. So a lot coming up. A lot coming up. And just one thing, one quick note. I don't want to hear about monkey shines. I don't think I've made my point so far about monkey shines. I don't care for the film. Don't you monkey shine in here. <laughs> don't you monkey shine in here. All right. You heard her. <laughs> don't monkey shine. All right. So thank you so much again for all the uh, great feedback uh, last time. Look forward to your feedback this time for physical disabilities. Uh, and until next week, I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Stay frightful, my friends. Stay frightful, my friends.